0: Welcome to your stereo spectrum stereophonic holiday tour of the city. Why not set your speakers for perfect balance? We'll offer a test tone played at the same frequency on both channels. This tone will be heard for ten seconds. This is not a scientific thousand-cycle tone. It is offered only to assist you in achieving a tonal and volume balance. Tell me,
1: What's up, guys? This is Nate. Welcome to the show. This is Dummy Room episode 132. This week, I will be joined by a fucking legend, Billy Morissette from Dillinger 4 and Scooby-Don't. That's Billy. I talked to him a couple days ago, and uh, it's a pretty fun conversation, you know? We talk a little uh, Scooby-Don't, a little Dillinger 4, we talk some uh, Jason Voorhees, you'll hear it. Um, anyways, great guy, and uh, yeah, just just a fucking legend, man. So next week, there's not going to be a show. I just can't do it next week. This week is Thanksgiving, and uh, happy Thanksgiving, by the way. I hope everyone has a great one. Happy holidays. Um, but, um, yeah, I got to get my my head above water at work a little bit and um, just concentrate on that. So I'm going to take the week off, and then that puts us into December, and December's going to be unfucking real um, Lots of cool shit, some great guests, uh, a couple surprise shows, and... Um, yeah, December is going to be going to be awesome. So I just got to kind of uh, prepare for that a little bit. So uh, what else is going on? Um, I keep uh, I keep some notes and stuff, but I don't have them with me of shit that I'm supposed to talk about or I want to talk about or promote or whatever. And I just can't think right now. But um, uh, Zonoid's album, Zoonoid's album is if you're listening to this, it should be here, here next week. I hope I'm really hoping for that. This thing is it's so good, man. Anyways, let's I'm gonna I'm gonna do a new song off it. Let's do something new from Zonoids. Check this shit out.
0: I see the friendly faces as I walk by. Everyone in the neighborhood they say
1: everyone's going to love this record. I've been I've been listening to it so much. I've had this thing for for months now and um oh man, I can't wait for everyone to hear it. Um it's going to be uh it's going to be pretty limited, only a couple hundred copies. So once it goes up for pre-order, um if I do a pre-order, um just uh just get on it, man. Uh it's a split with iBuy Records from Italy, um cool label. So if you're in Europe, uh hit them up. Um, that's it man so let's get to the uh the conversation with uh Billy Morissette from Scooby Don't and Dillinger Four now
0: coming up next we got a guest we got a guest coming up next coming up next we got a guest we got a guest coming
1: up next Billy Morissette from Dillinger Four and Scooby Don't is here dude welcome to the show how you been
2: I've been hanging in there man it's uh it's good to be here obviously it's a uh it's a zany year, rough on a lot of us for a lot of different reasons, but, um, hanging in there, doing the best we
1: can, you know, keep it on, keep it on. Yeah. It's been a shitty, shitty year. Um, I wrote you last Friday night and I asked you to be on the show because, uh, last week was Friday the 13th ah. and I got to tell you, uh, every time I see you dressed up as, as Jason Voorhees, it's fucking incredible, man. Um, so you went to like a, what was it? A coffee shop last week dressed as Jason? It was an ice cream shop. Yeah. And, ice uh, cream shop. And I usually, I'm, I I love
2: Halloween and I love making my own costumes. And, and for a couple of years now, I've sort of just fallen into really taking a lot of time and doing these kind of extensive like cosplay costumes, you know, all, all by hand, you know, I'm out there with seam rippers and sandpaper and paint. And, and I <laughs> actually have like three different <laughs> Jason costumes now, but, uh, so yeah, Halloween came and went and, and, uh, yeah, this local ice cream shop I just saw on their social media said, Hey, you know, we love Friday the 13th. Why don't you come on in today? We're going to be making, um, chocolate Jason masks to go on any cone. So I was like, well, hell I'm suiting up, uh, through, through all the gear on, you know, the costume, the full latex bald hood, the hockey mask, everything, um, rolled in. And unfortunately the owners weren't there, but a couple of customers took pictures and, um, I got taken on social media and within a matter of hours, the owners had actually contacted me and uh, apparently the next Friday the 13th is going to be in August and they want me to come down and do some sort of promo or maybe, you know, cashier for a little bit or whatever. And uh, I, told them I will <laughs> gladly work for ice cream.
1: <laughs> That's incredible. So, you scare the shit out of any kids, or?
2: Oh, it's one of my great joys as I get older in life. Yeah, on Halloween, absolutely. <laughs> I think my record is about three quarters of a block. I had one running. Wow. Usually, Sarah will answer the door, and just like a witch hat, she'll give candy, and I'll be lurking around the corner or in the backyard <laughs> and make my presence known. And <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, I've gotten some pretty good reactions from the kids. I, I really, I get a lot of joy out of that these days
1: just the past couple of years of seeing you at Halloween on, on Facebook. And uh, I I've seen the pictures of you out, you know, you, you talk about the sandpaper and shit and you do a really good job. I don't know if anyone out there listening, hasn't seen it, find it on Facebook, find pictures of Billy, because it's amazing. Like you look, you look better than like Kane hotter. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I actually, I met Kane. I went to um, a convention a couple of years ago and I'm actually bigger than Kane. Like I'm taller, which I, I, I found surprising, but Yeah good dude but yeah i i put a, i put a lot of work into it like i said my main one my first one is kind of a custom look that i threw together here it's sort of a a blend of like uh, a classic part three with with um like a freddie versus jason so it's got the jacket but the same color, like color scheme as the part three with the green and the part three mask and then yeah i've also made a very screen accurate straight up part three and just this year i actually did a very screen accurate um Part two, the one you know with the, the bag head before he gets the hockey mask. So I'm amassing quite the collection.
1: So what what's your favorite uh, Friday the Thirteenth film? Oh, the final chapter, part four, hands yeah. down. Is is um, okay. I I love the series, but I I I get them so confused because there's so many of them. But is part four the one where he kills the chick in the sleeping bag?
2: No, that's uh, that's I want to say part seven actually. Part four is the one with uh, young Corey Feldman.
1: Oh yeah, where he shaves his head. Yeah, at the end. Yeah. it's
2: kind of funny because two, three, and four—I I really kind of consider them one movie. You know, they all—they all run sequentially. You know, two, three, and four all take place in the span of about one week. So Jason's Reign of Terror is actually pretty short. Each movie picks up the immediate moment the previous one uh, left off, and so I really consider two, three, and four. It's—it's it's best to watch them all in a rock block, and those are my favorites anyway. Those first four, where it actually was trying to be kind of like. A horror movie you know it's a, it's a slasher movie so they're not really scary but you know six is great and a fan favorite but after that they they get pretty goofy to varying degrees <laughs> of success.
1: i don't know i always thought they were scary as a kid they scared the shit out of me man and, oh
2: yeah and, it was super creepy with the bag head oh it's a creepy look
1: yeah so well we got the important shit out of the way you know i i, I had to ask you man because god ah, damn you look you look incredible as jason
2: <laughs> thanks a lot no oh. i'm happy to chat about it man we could we could fill up this whole podcast talking about Friday the 13th, I'm sure.
1: All right, man. So I've never seen, but I have heard, uh, I've heard rumors of your fucking colossal record collection. And, and oh. I know, I know you like all kinds of different music, but, um, yeah. I guess, specifically for this podcast. I'm kind of wondering how you got into punk rock. Like, what was that, your favorite band, that kind of right?
2: shit? Yeah, well, I mean, music's always been huge to me. Like, I, as a little kid, I don't ever really remember not having at least some sort of shitty turntable. And, you know, um, you know Kiss Destroyer, the, the fourth Kiss record, was the first record I ever bought as a kid with my own money. And, like, throughout that whole, like, 70s and 80s era like i, I love metal and i still have a soft spot for a lot of 70s and 80s like hard rock and hair metal and so music was always really there for me and important to me but, but as far as like punk stuff i guess um i moved out of my mom's and i was living with uh, my grandma on the east side of saint paul and uh i made friends with a weirdo at the end of the block to me who wound up being um john spitball pearson who you might remember as being uh, one of the guitar players in Cleveland Bound Death Sentence down the line. So me and Eddie, um just hit up a friendship. And and even at that young age, I mean, we're talking we're what, 15, 16 or something. He was already super knowledgeable about a, a ton of punk stuff and going to alternative school. And he had this um, basically like a giant loft uh, third floor where his mom lived on the bottom and he basically had total freedom. And so we would just sit up there and he would play me all kinds of stuff. So for me, like, you know, in the mid to late 80s, you know, it was Angry Samoans, um, definitely Ramones, you know, Descendants were huge, you know, Misfits. I mean, all that kind of typical stuff, but also a lot of like kind of hardcore. I was, you know, really into like DRI, you know, around that time, mm-hmm. you know, um, this is right before probably uh, South I Heaven came out. And that was a huge record for me as a kid, you know, like, yeah. So, I mean, Spitball really sort of turned me on to a lot of that stuff. And then almost immediately after that, we just. Because he had already, he was already playing guitar even back then. So, almost immediately, we just decided to start making music together, and, and we made crappy bands and
1: etc. <laughs> jams and shit, yeah. So I mentioned you were in Scooby Don't. When did you? Was Scooby Don't wasn't like your first actual band? Was it? No,
2: I had some high school bands, and then um, before Scooby Don't, um, I was playing around like Minneapolis, like a lot of basement shows and stuff. Um, with this band Dink. Um, okay. Before before the major label band Dink, um, <laughs> um, just with a lot of buddies. Actually, John Warner, the drummer for Dink, he went on to uh, sing and play guitar for that band, Ferd Mert. Ferd Mert, yeah. Totally. Was the drummer for that band, and and we were playing just basements and stuff. And Scooby don't guys had all moved here. They all went to um Stevens Point um, yep. together, and they moved to the Twin Cities. And um, I don't even remember why exactly Dink stopped playing, but uh, eventually we did. And those guys were still just the three piece Scooby don't was. And so they just asked me if I wanted to play with them, and I was like, yeah, absolutely. And and almost immediately, like uh, just a couple weeks after they asked me to join, I know, um, we were going on tour and that was my first big, like U S tour, you know, jump in the van and, and just, just incredible. It was, it was amazing doing that with those guys, you know, at the time where you could just grab a copy of, you know, book your own fucking life, you know, yeah. from Mar, the old resource book and have one seven inch and just go and, and play crazy basements around the country. And it was just absolutely phenomenal.
1: Yeah, um, I was actually trying to think yesterday after we, we had a little chat. I was trying to think um, how how I had met you. And you. I had booked a show here probably probably in 1994. And I'm pretty yeah. sure that I had found your number in Book Your Own Fucking Life. That makes sense. And yeah. uh, I don't know if you guys re- or if you remember um, coming down here to play. But it was, uh, like I said, it was a 94. It was a winner show. And it was like a fucking shitty snowstorm, and you guys were like super late, and it was like everybody was waiting for you to show up, and uh, you guys played, and I I remember like looking over at my buddy who was who was in my band, and we because we played with you guys, and I was like that look of like awe and shame at the same time, you know, when you realize that your band is. So much shittier than the next band. (laughs) Like Scooby Don't was fucking great.
2: was great and you know we still have i I might have a copy somewhere i know for sure mike waddell does because he sent them to me digitally just a couple years ago we we have like five songs in the can that never came out anywhere and they're fucking great you know we actually played together well it's a few years ago at this point maybe five years ago it was um the 20th anniversary i want to think of extreme noise records here in the twin cities which is um uh collectively owned all volunteer run record store that's been operating since like 94. Yeah. Um, and they were having a big anniversary blowout and they kind of um, wrapped it all around a pretty, a pretty famous local comp that came out around that time called no slow All go is really one of, in my opinion, mm-hmm. one of the hot points of sort of the underground twin cities music scene. It was um, all styles really representative of what was happening in basements around the twin cities at that time. And we actually managed to get a lot of those bands back together for a one-off and Scooby don't actually uh, play the show. And it was, it was fantastic. I had the, the time of my life. Actually, I, I think I had to play in three d- different bands over that, that two day <laughs> weekend of shows.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. I, I did. Yeah, I well, heard about that like years after the fact, like four years, I like four years ago. I heard about that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. One of them again, with my buddy spitball, who at the time had a band called Oswald Armageddon. That was just kind of a very classic, like circle Jerksy sort of just skate, like us. Hardcore punk rock band, and uh, unfortunately, you know, since the time that came out, one of our mutual friends, uh, our buddy Chris Nordby, has since passed away, and so they asked me if I would take Chris's place and and play guitar on those shows, and I was really happy to do it. Um, so yeah, three bands, and yeah, Os- Oswald was a lot of fun. We actually kept it going about once a year um, hmm. for, a, for a couple of years. There's a, a bowling alley here in the Twin Cities that would do an annual holiday show, and it was all covers so um one year oswald armageddon we did circle jerks circle jerks uh group sex front to back and then the next year we did the first suicidal tendencies record front to back and then the year after that we did uh the reagan youth record front to back
1: awesome. so those were
2: all really really fun shows
1: yeah i had that comp that you were talking about and i remember um because i'm not that far away I used to go to shows in the cities and shit but um yeah the the comp was it was really diverse it was like like the hardcore stuff to pop stuff to just weird stuff. And oh, um, I always kind of gravitated towards um, you know, like the scooby don't and and uh, Kung Fools and and the Totalies that kind of stuff. they were they were a great band. I loved the Kung Fools. Yeah, I I saw them. They played down here a couple of times, I think, and uh, the Totalees came down a couple of times too. Oh, yeah, Lance. <laughs> yeah, it. what's it? What was his name? Was it Lance or Tyson? Yeah, it's Tyson. Yeah. Okay. Lance yeah. Central was uh, I think the record label. Yeah, and he had that great comp he put out. The um, Dayquil.
2: Yeah, Scooby Doo has two tracks on that. Yep. We do um, we do the some kind of wonderful version of Miss Amanda Jones, <laughs> and, and uh, an original called Powerloid. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I remember that comp came out, and it was like the first time I had heard like discount, and oh, yeah. uh, I can't remember who else was on that thing, but
2: I think the Masuganos were on it.
1: Oh yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Which is a band I absolutely
1: loved. They played Scooby
2: oh, House. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. So um, the last time that I saw Scooby Don't was uh, it was in Madison, Wisconsin. You guys actually played with Dillinger Four at the the P is for Punk House. Um, yeah and uh i think lance was playing drums with you maybe and you were not in dillinger for yet right i think sloan was it sloan was the guy oh right yeah that's and... that's a little bit of d4 trivia there yeah um... yeah <laughs> but i remember um i had known you and i knew lance and, and dillinger 4. i remember the flyer i still have the flyer i'll post it i'll send you a picture i don't know if you have it but it says uh dillinger Four. it says uh the next big thing in punkdom so i hear And it's like fucking a. I mean, that was like ninety. It must have been around ninety-five.
2: Yeah, even back then they're making fun of our
1: weight. Jeez. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that was a great show. It was a packed basement, and I still have. I think I still have pictures from it. Of I don't think I have any of Dylan for though. I think I just took Scooby Don't pictures.
2: Yeah, that was that was a crazy time because like obviously Scooby Don't was touring for themselves, and then you know I went out and did that stint. with the queers.
1: Yeah. When was K- that? What year was that? Um, that
2: was right after beat off came. Cause, uh, Danny vapid played guitar on that and he couldn't do the tour or whatever. So I think Joe probably knew me from playing the Scooby Don't house. So Joe called me and asked if I would do the tour with them. So yeah, I, I flew at the Portsmouth and it was, it was me and Joe and Hugh and B face. Um, yeah. And I did the, I might have been the first of the ever revolving uh door of guitar (laughs) players. Um to this day Joe still calls me um Bill Scooby.
1: Wow. Yeah. So how is that, man? I mean, you played with the absolute classic queers lineup.
2: It was the classic lineup. It was a ton of fun. You know, I was young and you know, Joe Joe was still drinking, so we were pounding a lot of Budweisers and um You know, obviously the Queers were playing bigger rooms than I was used to at the time, so it 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 was it was just a riot. You know, I flew out there and sat in Joe's bedroom, I think, for like two days and learned the songs, and uh, (laughs) and we hit the road. You know, Um, E face is great. Obviously, playing with Hugh every night was a pleasure. You know, Um, total sweetheart of a guy. Um, Yeah, it, it was it was an absolute riot. I got on really really well with those dudes. I actually actually got back from that Queers tour and. Joe had given my number to Nikki Parasite and he called me and was like, Hey, you want to come out and do a tour with the parasites? But I think Scooby Don't was, we were getting ready to track our songs for the Boris sprinkler split. So I was like, ah, I can't do it. I get my bands doing shit, you know? But, but yeah, it was almost a pop punk gun for hire.
1: Can you, uh, you got any good Joe queer imitations?
2: Oh, <laughs> I mean, Jesus Christ. This was so long ago. I don't, <laughs> I don't remember, You know I mean? Yeah, I mean, just do any crotchety old man imitation. Ah, oh, Jesus Christ, Bill! What the hell? You let the van go under a quarter tank of gas? Jesus, we got to get to the next gas station. You know,
1: <laughs> that's perfect. I think I think all the imitations involved a van.
2: Yeah,
1: <laughs> that's great. Yeah, so yeah, I remember you telling me you were in the Queers back then, and I I just thought, holy shit! You know, this guy's in the Queers. That's amazing.
2: Yeah, yeah, it was it was it was an absolute riot, and um, got to meet. You know, I think uh, I think Scooby Doo had already done the Just Like Water comps or whatever, but I remember like in Atlanta, like getting to meet Jason from Just Add Water and stuff. So it was cool to put some faces to to names and and people. You know, I remember uh, us being down in Florida and staying with Chris Barrows from the Pink Lincolns, and that was the day I was just cra- crashing at uh, Chris's house, and uh, Chris took Joe into the studio to record that uh, Fuck Madonna song for that comp. Nice. Like, hey, here we go. I'm like, no. Okay, cool. I'll hang out and watch TV at your house, dude.
1: <laughs> uh, go through his pictures and shit.
2: <laughs> I, I don't want. I don't know if anyone wants to go through Chris Barrows' pictures. Who knows what's in there, man? <laughs>
1: <laughs> he's got a lot of good pictures, just from shows and shit.
2: Oh yeah, he, I see. He's been posting those lately. Actually, I I have not spoken to that dude in decades, but like seemed nice enough to me. And yeah, he's been posting some cool photos. I know what you're
1: talking about. So. The first couple of times that I saw D4, obviously you weren't in the band, but, uh, I think the first time I saw him with you was with the Mr. T experience at, uh, some show on the university, like for the love is dead, uh, yeah, the, so whole,
2: you, the whole, in Cochman union. Probably, yeah. It was
1: the whole, yeah. You guys, uh, Quincy punks played. That sounds right. And what a weird fucking lineup that is, you know?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I still remember being so pissed at the Quincy punks when, uh dink was around my band before scooby dunk because when screeching weasel came through on it was probably enemies or something like that like word got through that it was either going to be you know quincy punks or dink opening because we were kind of doing sort of the same thing and quincy punks got it and i remember being so angry back then (laughs) oh (laughs) not enemies uh i meant uh what's the fourth one uh jesus christ i'm blanking now uh wiggle anthem anthem it was probably it was probably on the anthem tour
1: I remember when uh, when the Descendants played here in 96, like their first big show back. Wow. And uh, they played here as like a one-off, like a warm-up show for like the tour. And oh, yeah. uh, I, I, I so wanted to play. And uh, we were kind, I don't want to say we were led to believe we were going to play. We, we just weren't told no right away. So we thought, right. oh, we got we got this. We're the only punk band in town, you know? And right. uh, yeah, we, we got offered to open for like, MU330 like the next week or something it was like uh, nothing against those guys but they're not the descendants.
2: <laughs> uh, few people are. people are. I I absolutely adore that band.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um so um I got to know like tell me like when I was talking to you, uh the other day on the phone I had mentioned like one of the last times that I had talk to you was well maybe not one of the last times but uh green bay wisconsin this is like 20 years ago you guys played a day show and i think it was on like a sunday it was like uh something called a a punk rock rummage sale they used to do where people could bring in you know toys and records and shit and sell them and then they'd have bands play afterward and uh you guys we had pizza together at jake's across the street which is fucking the best pizza place in the world and um I remember you guys had driven, I want to say, like, almost straight from, like, Gainesville, and uh, I want to say you guys got into a huge fight. You guys were talking about a brawl you had at, at like, the front yard of a house with, like, some college dudes or something.
2: Oh, God, yeah, <laughs> geez. I, I, I mean, there were a couple of those situations back in the day. You know, I mean, even, even as recently as, you know, 20 years ago, like, know not everyone was accepting as they of people who like looked or or differently or did their own things and certainly some of those confrontations happened (laughs) back in the day i remember i mean there was one rumble uh we were on tour with the like the strike of all people who who are all total sweethearts you know great fucking band love that band incredible fucking band certainly not bodybuilders though yeah it, it wouldn't surprise me i mean it, it it definitely happened you know um people people forget how recently that was where you would really be ostracized or threatened with physical violence just for for looking different and just kind of doing your own thing yeah you know? those attitudes seem to be rescinding a little bit but we certainly have a long way to go in this country you know
1: well where what i was thinking there was um i was hoping you could give me like you know a few of your craziest dillinger four stories uh on stage or off stage um i got to say that my craziest thing that i ever saw um and this starts out normal but uh patty was naked mm-hmm. and he was playing on the bar at ok's corral you guys oh, yeah open for zoinks you remember that one?
2: Uh yeah it was it was uh yeah jeez i think i do remember that one and i want to say not uh, maybe Ever Ready was
1: maybe on that show. Uh, yeah, you might be right. I did see Ever Ready. I think it was at OK's, too. That, I wasn't thinking it was the same show, but maybe it was. Yeah, I I definitely seem to remember
2: some sort of hot for teacher madness going down the bar by the <laughs> stage at okay's definitely. And I definitely remember getting hammered with a bunch of little old ladies at that bar next door. And they were saucy, man. They were some <laughs> ass like like eighty year old bro- sassy broads, man. It was <laughs> an absolute riot. I, I definitely remember that. But crazy stuff. I, <laughs> I I remember one of my favorite moments. Like it was, um, geez, one of the one of the record release show. It, it might have been the big record release show, even for midwestern songs. I don't remember, but it was in the main room at First Avenue here in the Twin Cities, and it was us and the Murder City Devils who we'd always gotten on with those guys really, really well. We had played with a bunch of their previous bands. Um, You know, uh, a few of those guys, Nate and those dudes, had a band called uh, the Cleavers, uh, who have a seven-inch that's just fucking brilliant. And uh, they had another band called the Unabombers that had played uh, in Patty's basement, which is called the Dead End Alley. And so we were homies with those guys, so this is I mean, if it was Midwestern, that's what, like 98 or something? Yeah. But so Michael Versus God, 2000, regardless. It was us the Murder City Devils in the main room. And our buddy Chip Pearson showed up in a full-on, like, giant bear, you know, mascot costume with the giant head. And somehow <laughs> just being on stage with Lane, I think our drummer, nowhere near the kit, but with Spencer from Murder City wearing the bear head and having – patty's bass and one of lane's drumsticks and just slapping the bass and sliding the drumsticks up the bass screaming into the microphone i'm kim gordon i'm kim gordon (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i mean obviously there's a lot of uh you know abandoned closed and closed, and you know drink fueled uh stories that have come and come and went along the way A, a couple one song shows but you know, we 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 like to celebrate the fact that uh, you know we're not clocked in and we're at a rock and roll show. And you know, fuck it, you want to hear the record? Stay at home. We're gonna. We're it's gonna be a show. And and what happens happens. Let's uh, let's let's take a shot and celebrate the fact that we're all here together tonight, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Dillinger Four uh, is one of the great live bands I always thought, and uh, partially because I mean, you guys fucking rocked, but it was the, the banter, the, the in-between song banter was like nobody else, you know, and just, it was a comedy show and, and a rock show at the same time and nudity. Yeah. I mean, you
2: know? <laughs> right, right? well, you know, I mean, Patty Costello, in addition to being, you know, one of uh, the funniest dudes I know on this planet is also one of the smartest guys I know on this planet. And I really think the two often go hand in hand, you know, um, definitely, always an incredible bonus to be able to share a stage with a guy like that who can, and I don't care if it takes 10 minutes in between songs, fuck it. What else are we doing? You know, you go on a rant. <laughs> I, 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 for one appreciate it.
1: <laughs> yeah. You can drink
2: a little more. Absolutely. We're big guys, man. We got to wet that whistle between songs. <laughs> it's still one, two, three, four for us.
1: <laughs> I always had a question about how you guys wrote songs. Like did, did uh, the songs that Eric sang, did he bring them and just, write them or it seemed like you guys had to have written that shit together no pretty
2: much like um like eric and patty both really come in with fairly structured songs sometimes there'll be parts but fairly structured songs and then really what the band does together is more than anything is is really arrangements um you know chopping shit up like losing parts you know different tempos uh different breakdowns whatever but the general rule, yeah, you know, if, if Eric's singing it, he wrote it. If Patty's singing it, he wrote it. They they come in, you know, pretty pretty assembled for the most part, and and then yeah, we just kind of all sit down and bash it out and figure out the way that makes it sound the best for us. You
1: know, yeah, I've always loved how like you guys are obviously a two singer band. I, I always love how the the songs are. You you know kind of right away whose song it is, but they 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 mesh very well together um you know their voices are completely in different directions but man together well, those guys well, sound right. great I mean, They were a three singer band well <laughs> yeah. yeah i suppose <laughs> yes <laughs> but
2: uh no, i agree and, and that's one of my favorite things um as you said earlier you know like you know when, when scooby do was even going on tour with d4 you know that was one of my favorite things about the band is like the vocal trade-ups and stuff i
1: i i love that yeah how do, how do you how do you guys name songs For all the lyrics
2: who uh, whoever writes them Go to Patty and Patty sort of dissects them and uh you know there's this there's this myth I think going around that like our our songs titles don't have anything to do with the songs and that's really a falsehood you know like Patty scours through the through the lyrics and um they may be whimsical or appear to be nonsensical but but really the, the titles do tie into the overall message of the song and some of the titles you know I'll admit are are hard to remember so you know a lot of times our <laughs> look and it'll be like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> and that's, you know, it's whatever we remember it by because some of those some of those titles are definitely a mouthful, but but they really do all tie in to to the message of the song. Um and and I think it's awesome that 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 A Patty does that and B that Patty likes doing it. I, I, I think it's just cool and puts an extra layer of um you know thought into our work. You no, know, not the. Not to sound hoity-toity, but, you know, for a band that does, like you said, like to rock and party and have a good time, you know, we 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 do have a standard of songwriting, and we throw a lot of shit away, and, you know, like, our songs like to be about something, and when you're home after the show and hopefully reading the lyric sheet, you can get a little something extra out of just that sick breakdown,
1: you know? Yeah, you guys weren't uh, overly prolific, um, four albums in twenty-five years. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I know you had some breaks there and shit, but
2: I mean breaks. But I mean, it, it was never anything. It's never been anything. We've never sat down and decided we're going to take a break. You know, when we were younger, and yeah, the seven inches were the only thing out. Yeah, we would hit the van and, like you said, drive from Gainesville to Wisconsin for a show, and that's that's <laughs> just simply not a reality anymore. You know, I mean, yeah. like everyone but me in the band has has kids now, and the simple fact is like we have never viewed the band as like a a, a full-time thing or like a, a job we all have our day jobs and our, our very real lives that go on and the simple fact is you know we do d4 when we want to do d4 and i i get that it takes a long time in between but you know like it's a uh, it's it's something we decide to do and we want to do it and it's frankly fucking incredible that people are still along for the ride all these years later. You know, we, it's 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 amazing that we'll people still come out and everything, but it's just the way we look at the band, man. You know, it's, it's something fun that, that we do for us, and it, it's amazing that people are still interested, and I, 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 I think it's awesome and incredible. But on the other hand, like, I, I don't want to be out on the road fucking, you know, 200 days a year, 250 days a year, man. You know, like, I I'd, you know, we'd all rather just do a couple weeks here and a couple weeks there and, and the writing, there's, there's always talk, you know, we, there's always, there's always risks, you know, we actually were very seriously writing new, new music right before all this Corona shit. We were actually rehearsing and working on new songs and, you know, hopefully we can get to the point where the four of us can be in the same room again here pretty quick, safely. Yeah. And, 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 but there's never been any conscientious talk about like, Oh, we're going to, we're going to take a break for the next like seven years. It just, just the way it shakes out man
1: yeah um i don't know i I think most people of course everybody in minneapolis knows you're you're very involved with the scene right i mean dillinger four is kind of i I don't want to say the leaders of the scene but clearly the biggest band
2: i mean yeah we're certainly involved but i mean that's that's kind of the beauty of punk though too i mean i mean you can't really be a punk band that's pushing 30 years old i mean the beauty of punk is there's always going to be some weirdo kid in some weirdo basement like Making weirdo songs on some weirdo guitar, you know, (laughs) and 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 I think that's not only incredible. I think it's a necessity to keep like DIY punk like alive and interesting and 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 moving forward, you know. And and we certainly try to support younger bands and and you know like um, you know, there's our annual D Fourth of July show. You know, we try to give a, a, a platform that some bands may not always have you know we we try to
1: support our scene i'll just say you guys were fucking awesome and you guys were involved with extreme noise maybe not all of you but uh you guys are the triple rock and lane of course has the drum shop right he does yep so you guys are very much still involved with the scene maybe not you know playing every single show but you're you were for a while there you know you were Working every show, right, <laughs> or promoting every show at the yeah, Triple Rock, I at mean, least.
2: Yeah, you know, it, absolutely. And Eric Funk in particular, you know, he was an initial investor in Extreme Noise, you know, in mm. what '94 or whatever. And you know, me and Patty volunteered there for years and years and years. And obviously, you know, Eric getting the the Triple Rock was a love letter to the music scene. You know, he had a beautiful patio that he tore down because he wanted a music venue. You know, and he wanted a place for for all these bands to play that 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 sounded great and looked great and um you know funk's um funk's a pretty amazing dude and yeah he's contributed a lot personally um to the scene the guy puts his money where his mouth is and um yeah he's he, he's done a lot and i i i think um i think the whole band tries to do what we can you know to, yeah to
1: support our scene yeah, that's awesome. The last time I was actually, I hadn't been to the uh, Triple Rock for a long time. I think the last time I was there was the uh, the one of the Screeching Weasel shows.
2: Oh, god, um, great! I loved that record, first one,
1: Festo. Oh, I love that record. Yeah, and actually, that's the what? last time I talked to you. I remember talking to you. You were working that night, I think.
2: Oh no, I wasn't. No way, I would, I would not have worked during Screeching Weasel.
1: Were you not working? I, I, I talked to you. I remember that. Well, I would have been partying. For sure, I was at the uh, this. I think it was the second night with when Tenement played. People are still talking about it.
2: Well, yeah, but that band fucking absolutely rips. Speaking of rips, man, who's who's the guy who played drums on that record? Did he also track the record too? That guy, the drum on First World Manifesto, are
1: fucking sick, dude. The drummer is uh, was Adam Cargan. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Th- I, I, he didn't. Uh, I don't think he had anything to do with the recording. But um, Justin Perkins. Uh, was involved with the recording of that, I know, and he was the bass player at the time. Oh, was so. was that the Jetty Boys dude? Uh, nope. It, uh, Drew was in the Jetty Boys. He was uh one of the guitar players.
2: Right on. Well, yeah, yeah we're getting off track, but the fucking no, drums first manifesto, man. They're sick. I love them.
1: I actually love that record, and I know that record kind of takes a lot of shit. I don't know why, because I think it's one of my favorites.
2: Absolutely. O- outside of like the kind of prime years... So yeah, trilogy. It's it's right up there with me. I mean, yeah.
1: I don't know if you heard the 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 one that came out this year, the new one. I haven't. Oh man, that's I've I've gotten some hate messages, but um, I called it the third best screeching weasel record behind My Brain Hurts. An anthem. Wow. And oh, people fucking lose their mind, but it's a really good album. They yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, have a lot of great records, man. That people. Yeah.
2: I mean, Television City Dream is a is a favorite of mine. I like that record a lot. Uh, probably my favorite production on any of the weasel records though is wiggle man that record just i think that record sounds the toughest to me like the first track when that kicks in the guitars are heavier like i love the production on wiggle that's a great record
1: yeah i like that original the original version that i know they did that the the remastered or remixed one and yeah, I, I haven't like heard that it, one so. as much so yeah,
2: I, I heard it i got my all my dusty old records and Those are the only ones I have.
1: I've heard about this record collection. I know people have talked about, I I saw a post once where you had thought about selling your record collection. And there was, there must've been like 200 comments like, Oh, you know, let me come over (laughs) that kind of shit.
2: Yeah, I know. It's, it's weird, man. Getting, getting older is a strange thing. You know, I mean, you can't take it with you. Right. And like, you know, my spouse, Sarah, you know, she likes to go to estate sales and I'll go with her from time to time. And it just, Freaks me out, man. You always have these fucking like mouth breather dudes, just, <laughs> like <laughs> drooling, flipping through the, the records, like looking to score, you know, gold. And it's like, man, I, I don't want these fucking guys in my fucking house, like flipping through my shit that's priced <laughs> at four dollars because they don't know what the fuck I have, you know. It's like, I mean, you can't take it with you, know. And and it's weird, you know. I spent several years kind of cataloging my shit on Discogs, and it's you know a very valuable collection yeah and uh you know sometimes it's like well fuck it man you know maybe you know maybe maybe we should just go to fucking spain and greece for fucking four weeks you know and it, it's like what's is, is it better to like have shit or is it better to like accumulate more life experiences you know maybe maybe it was just a weird midlife crisis i'm going through or something but yeah <laughs> I, don't know, I haven't I, I, I haven't thought about it as much recently and i certainly haven't stopped buying records <laughs> so um you know and my spouse sarah jean like she she you know she dj's and has um been into vinyl forever too and she's got awesome fucking taste in music and she's got damn near as many records as me so yeah it's 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 definitely a wall to wall on all four walls record room like yeah it's uh, i worry about the uh weight <laughs> uh, on the floor, sometimes. <laughs> does,
1: it, does it does it look like uh, like uh, John Cusack's place in High Fidelity?
2: <laughs> that, that that's more Patty's place. Pad, Patty has got a fucking ginormous record collection. Man, his, his is huge. Like I mean, and his mine is more like floor to ceiling, and his is more kind of like only a few feet high, but like winding everywhere <laughs> you know, you know like on multiple levels. <laughs>
1: That's awesome. Like a, like a vinyl labyrinth or something.
2: I Just a couple of years ago, reorganized my records. I used to go just straight alphabetical regardless of genre. And a couple of years ago I did break it up because um, I was DJing a little bit more into very, very loose genres. And then within genre, you know, of course alphabetical and then sequential to project. I'm certainly not going chronological.
1: What is uh, yeah? Uh, what is? Um, did,
2: you know, did you know that in High Fidelity? Speaking of High Fidelity, there's a Dillinger Four poster in the record
1: store. Ah, I don't know if I remember that.
2: Yeah, the scene when Tim Robbins comes in, like I love that scene. In front him, you can see um, on the inside of the front door, and towards the bottom, there's one of the horizontal, like uh horizontal. I'm I'm dipping into the whiskey a little bit, <laughs> um, but. Uh, <laughs> There's a, uh, a poster for Midwestern Songs.
1: Oh, cool! Yeah. I don't know if I knew that. Yeah.
2: There's um, there's the big uh, versus God poster right there in what is it? Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, where in, they're in that alley with the drug dealer union cards. There's a big ass versus God poster right there.
1: Huh? I don't. I don't. I did not know that oh. either.
2: Dude, you know what? I also noticed, not related to Dillinger Four, <laughs> but Triple Rock related. I was doing um, another watch through of Breaking Bad fairly recently. And there's a scene where Walt Jr. is pouting in his room and there's a giant Lucero poster, screen print actually, um, for a show at the Triple Rock.
1: Really? Yeah. That's. I always thought it was weird when they when it's like that. Like you watch like old episodes of like 90210 or something and they'll have like the edgy kid. And he's got right. like posters like, why he wouldn't have that. Like why would you have that poster in there? Right. <laughs> yeah. That's really cool though.
2: Yeah, I always get a kick out of that stuff.
1: So what, what is the, uh, is that like, like the craziest, like, uh, I don't want to say like celebrity thing, but is is there any like weird famous celebrity that was a a fan of Dillinger Four or anything?
2: Oh boy. I don't know. Um, probably (laughs) set design pieces, you know, there was that, um, there's that show, um, you know, Dennis from it's always sunny has that show AP bio. And I know there's, um, there's a big scene with some some Dillinger Four music in that from Situationist comedy. Um, I, I don't know if that is, has anything to do with the stars, but um, geez, like celebrity D Four fan, That's shit, man. I don't know.
1: Because every once in a while, like I, I I I can't think of any offhand, but you'll you'll find out as celebrities into some some cool music and shit, and it's like really interesting when that happens, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah. What I think I just heard something similar to that with like josh brolin or something like that there was some band that was like fucking cool that i think turns out he was into or something but yeah i I, I don't know nothing's nothing's springing immediately to the top of my
1: head as far as as far as that i don't know how about uh norm from cheers george went you know that guy he was a big uh big replacements fan oh no shit yeah. I remember seeing him on Letterman once and they were talking about the replacements. Like he, you know, he did, they were talking about music and he said his favorite band was The replacements or something like that. Oh, hell yeah. So
2: I, I went to one of those last, uh, replacement shows when they were doing that string of reunion shows. I went to one here in the twin cities. They did it at a, uh, like triple a, like outdoor baseball stadium. It was, it was actually the replacements in the whole study. And I went into it pretty skeptical because I hadn't seen any of the Matt's reunion shows or whatever. And, um, holy fuck were they great man it, it was phenomenal dude
1: yeah i i didn't go to any of them yeah so. you didn't go to ride fast or nothing like that no yeah. no and i'm a i'm a big fan um i don't know i just i don't know i was i guess i was being a dick and it's no, like it's I, not the replacements you know it's it's tommy and and paul and with you know with other really paul. great musicians <laughs> but yeah. It's a double-edged
2: sword. Sometimes I go to those, and sometimes I don't. You know, like I remember—I mean, shit. This is probably more than a decade ago at this time, but there was like the MC5 were touring, which you know, one of my very, very favorite bands ever. And uh, of course, Rob Turner, the, um, the the singer, you know, is deceased. So they they did the first half of the set with Mark Arm from Mudhoney singing, and it was fucking hmm. awesome. It was great, but then midway through the set. And goddamn Evan Dando come out, and it was the worst, like, hippie fucking twirling bullshit, like, fronting the MC5 ever seen. Like, it, it was almost like you get both of those in one show, you know? Sometimes you go to those shows, it's like, I don't know, and it's like, oh, shit, that was great. Or sometimes you're like, I don't know, and it's like, yeah, should have stayed home, and somehow that MC5 show was both.
1: <laughs> but they should have just kept Mark Armand that makes a little more, a lot more sense than Evan Dando singing those songs. Yeah. It was strange. I saw Westerberg, you know, do it back in like, you know, 2000 and 2002 when he was, when he came back with the, uh, like uh, stereo mono record and he suddenly yeah. needed cash or something. I don't know, but he started playing a bunch of shows and stuff. I saw a bunch of those shows and uh, they were kind of hit or miss, you know, the solo ones at least. Yeah. Um, but when he had a band, um, like a full band playing those songs it was fucking great
2: yeah you know um paul is uh obviously kind of a weirdo but (laughs) song man you know i've had a couple drinks with tommy over the years you know and he's a fucking great dude i i've never met paul but yeah i I certainly and especially being from you know where i am I, i certainly love the replacements
1: so I was thinking about I was thinking of uh, great Minneapolis punk rock bands, and obviously uh, one and two are Husker Du and The Replacements, and then I go D four for number three. What do you think of that? Don't, don't hang know, up. <laughs> yeah.
2: You got you got to give it up to the Suicide Commandos. Yeah, you know? see,
1: I've I I think they were just a little bit before me, you know, and I just never really they were before everyone, man,
2: you know. Yeah. I mean, I get what you're saying, but, uh, I mean, literally, they, they were before everyone. They were kind of the first band in, in Minnesota to do it. And, you know, Chris Osgood, the guitar player-singer, is still around and still phenomenal. That's that's the thing about the Twin Cities, man. We have such a m- rich musical history dating back. I mean, think about, you know, the Trashmen, Surfing Bird. They're from St. Paul. Mm-hmm. You know, they, it wasn't even garage rock yet. They would call it frat rock, right? You, you have bands like, you know, the Trashmen and, uh, and then going – later past that i mean bands that maybe people outside of the twin cities don't know but should like the hipsters and the mighty mofos you know mm-hmm. bill batson and his brother bill Batson. you know bill batson did sound in the seventh street entry in the 80s maybe through the 90s for years just totally committed to music and just incredible like badass, like electrified soul rock and roll you know like and then of course yeah like leading into bands like you know do and the replacements, and and people always sleep on early Soul Asylum. Man, that love band, it. So I, I love early Soul Asylum through you know. I mean, those first like uh, those first four records, and then the Clam Dip EP are just fucking incredible. Obviously, you know the high highlight for me is Hang Time. You yeah. know, I, I saw those guys at every opportunity back in you know back in the heyday, back in the you know 88, 89 early nineties, and they were always just incredible live but but this has always had a really rich and um i feel like really supportive um music scene and, and and i the thing that's really awesome is i think that the people who live here both recognize that and support that and and you know a lot of that comes with having cool independent places like first avenue you know like mm-hmm. there's been a lot of times when clear channel and other like you know, huge corporate entities have tried to move into town and shut it down. And, and the music fans here simply refuse to let it happen. You know, we have our big independent giant black box and we fucking love it. You know, first Avenue <laughs> ranked both on critic and, and, you know, national musicians list is like one of the greatest venues in the world, like time and time again. And, you know, for those outside of Minneapolis, you know, first Avenue, it's a, it's a giant old Greyhound bus station. And um, it's been the first show there was uh, Joe Cocker. Like they're actually celebrating their 50th anniversary of this year. So there's two rooms. There's the main room, Avenue, which is about 1600 people. And then there's the Seventh street entry, which is um, the smaller room, which is, you know, 175, 200, 200 yeah. people. And that was sort of where where all these iconic bands that we're talking about cut their teeth, you know, like who's going do the replacements, like every big band you've ever seen in the world, like coming up and going down. Actually, um, during this shutdown, First Avenue um, is apparently they're, they're resurfacing the stage of the entry. And um, they cut the old stage up into about 380 pieces. And we're selling them to like kind of benefit keeping, you know, the lights on for the club during this entire shutdown. So I bought one. I'm super excited to get it. I mean, you can't replicate that, you know, 40 plus years of history that, that stage is seen. I mean, every band that we've talked about, plus a million more. Gracing that little stage, you know, that holds a couple hundred people, and it's sweaty. And you know, I remember going to my first couple First Avenue shows in the late '80s, and you know, seeing Seven Seconds, and the the fucking ceilings dripping, the walls are sweating, and it's just <laughs> it, it, to this day, literally, the Seventh Street entry is my favorite venue in the entire world to play. You know, it's it's an incredible honor to play the main room, and it's fantastic. But I, you just for my money, you just can't beat, you know people smashed up against the stage, no barriers, like everything in your face, a couple hundred people just going for it and intimacy and the the, the blaring of the amps and drums. You know, for my money, it's it's the best room in the world. And um, and I, I think that really helps support a lot of people's love that the Twin Cities has for generations and generations here in town and why the Twin Cities are such a uh, a, a music town and will hopefully continue to be.
1: I love the entry. I've been there in a long time, but I, uh, my favorite show I ever saw there was, um, I saw the queers, teen idols, Boris the Sprinkler, probably ninety, oh. ninety four, ninety five, somewhere in there. Oh. And, uh, that might've been my first time there too. I I'm, I'm thinking it was.
2: Hell yeah. That's quite an inauguration.
1: <laughs> but no, that's a great place. What was, what was, um. D4 played the entry a lot. They played first Avenue too. Did they play first Avenue like on their own or was it just with bigger bands or you guys were playing the, the main room, right by yourself?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, we we were banned from for first Avenue for a while, you know, really? like, yeah. I mean, four like, I mean, like I said, I mean, we, we were of the generation here in Minneapolis. That, I mean, just like every generation where, where we, we built our own thing, you know, obviously we had extreme noise going on and, You know, we were playing basement shows in Patty's house, the Dead End Alley. We were playing the basement team, you know, and and eventually you get offers for the entry. And I think, I don't remember what show it was, but I think at some point it wound up with Patty bursting out of the entry door butt naked and chasing a guy on a bicycle down 7th Street (laughs) demanding that he take a Taco Bell. (laughs) You know, that might have been a queer show. That might have been us and the queers in the entry, now that I stop and think about it. Regardless, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, you know, we were banned for a while, and fine, and you know, eventually we got asked back, and and yeah, we um done the main room a few times, and no hard feelings, you know, whatever. You got a naked guy running around and do what you got to do. It's cool, but you know, we're certainly gonna do our best to get by without you. But 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 yeah, we we have a great relationship with that room. I I, I love that room. I love the people that work there. Like um, that's the that's the beauty of punk, right? Like um, when the clubs say no, you find a way to say yes.
1: You guys played your 25th anniversary there, right? Just, like, a year ago.
2: Hell, yeah. Hell, yeah. And we brought up the almighty peg boy. Yeah. Who were absolutely phenomenal, as fucking always, dude. Guys, John Haggerty still terrifies me a little bit. <laughs> he was a super <laughs> nice guy backstage. We shot the breeze. All Larry, all those dudes. Like those guys are those guys are great. And yeah, and we were fortunate enough to you know have have some of our friends' bands play. You know, um, we had a band Partial Traces open, which is um, you know some some guys from Banner Pilot. It's it's Annie and Martin from the Soviets. Um, you know, it's 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 always great to be able to be in a position to help people that you're fans of you know um maybe i said that wrong maybe that sounds condescending but just you know if if you get in a, an opportunity to have a bigger platform you know it, it it's great to be able to 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 share that
1: yeah no i i i think it's, it's incredible. incredible they could do that on their own but i'm i'm just talking about supporting local bands uh, i just it's it's amazing i shouldn't say it's amazing that you guys lasted 25 years but it's just it's hard to believe it's I mean, I saw you guys in 95, not with you, obviously, but it makes me feel old, but it's right. really congratulations for sure, because that's a long time.
2: I mean, yeah, like you said, like 95, I mean, without me. Well, well, because you you know the first Dillinger 4 7-inch was recorded as a three-piece, right? It was only the three. Of them. Yep. Yeah. So it, the band name was Dillinger 4, but that record, yeah, was was tracked as a three-piece. And then um, actually Scooby-Doo and D4 were going to – uh on tour together and um, so they got a guy um, Sloan to play guitar and uh, Sloan played on those two D4 tracks on uh, that No Slow I'll Go local Minneapolis comp that you that we were talking about earlier so Sloan played on those two tracks but but that's it um, the first seven was recorded as a three piece and then D4 and Scooby or yeah D4 and Scooby Don't went on tour and Scooby Don't was going to break up two of the guys were moving out of state and it was going to be like our last tour and, uh, you know, we're doing the tour together and I was already hanging out with like Patty and Eric and Lane all the time. They, they, they were all going to the same college and they had a house together and I was partying with those guys all the time anyway, as it was. And, you know, c- down the road on the tour, it kind of became apparent that, that, that maybe Sloan wasn't, just wasn't the right fit for that band or whatever. And, and so, you know, they kind of asked me to do it after the tour. And so I've been the new guy since 95, <laughs>
1: Now if I remember right, wasn't was Eric in uh bombsight? Was that the band before Dillinger 4?
2: No, no. Eric was um no, Eric played in a bunch of hardcore bands. He played in Bloodline. Um him and Patty played in a band called Anger House. Um you might be thinking of a band called Impetus Inter. Um I don't think Eric ever recorded anything with, but went on tour like playing live bass for him. But, yeah, Eric was in hardcore bands before this. You know, he um, Eric was in Billingsgate, which is Victory Records number two when he was still in Chicago. And you can see Funk with long hair standing next to the singer in a straight edge jacket, where Funk is like totally dragging on a new part. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, then we played uh, yeah in a hardcore band uh, with our buddy Bill Bolger, who did like a lot of the graphic design for um, Versus God, and is a total homie. Um yeah, bloodline and they did a couple they did a couple records i I think on like nemesis or one of those like kind of old school hardcore labels, but yeah, yeah, bombsight was uh some other friends of ours locally, but not not D4 related. Well, you know that's incorrect because Sloan was in bombsight. Sloan was the guitar player for bombsight.
1: Maybe that's what I'm thinking i yeah. I just remember a friend a friend of mine here um had the tape, you know
2: yeah Bombside, yeah, it was sloan and my buddy scott cook who used to play bass in this awesome band called the porcelain boys oh yeah way back in the day yeah the porcelain boys were great especially some of those early cassette demos that i have that never got put on a vinyl man they did a demo called fetish for female that's just fantastic and then that first seven inch on thd records and the squeaky clean single um yeah i i, I love the porcelain boys they were they were they're were great i actually uh Talking about selling records, just went over to my buddy Scott's house the other day and uh, picked up a couple things from him. He was uh, lighting the <laughs> load a little bit.
1: Yeah, they were a great band. And, and
2: that's, Man Afraid as well. Sloan went on to play second guitar for Man Afraid after d 4 You know, And we were all a, a very tight circle. Hell, all those guys pretty much lived together. Bill Bolger and Patty and Mike Griffin, the singer for Man Afraid. Like, those are all the people that lived at the... you know, And Chris Schlichting, the singer for Bombsight were all the people that uh, lived at the Dead End Alley where we did, like, so many shows
1: during that, you know, mid-'90s time period. There's so many fucking good bands from Minneapolis. It just, especially back then, it was... Living where I live, a lot of bands from Minneapolis came down and played, but none none of those bands, but it was, like, um, bands like uh, Run Westy Run and, like, Arc Welder. Both of those bands have been playing out a little bit again, actually. Really? Yeah, pretty wild. Eric Welder was kind of a, a big deal, weren't they? I remember they did really well here. Yeah, you know, that was um
2: a, a, a weird time for me, though, too, because a lot of those type of bands, you know, when you're in your late teens and you're booking and playing basement shows, sometimes you can get a little bit of, like, us against them in your eyes when it's not really there. You know, it's like, those are the bands that play, like, the Uptown Bar, and, you know, we, we do our <laughs> basement they and they're, they're different than us, you know? <laughs> like, it's... It's easy to see things through through different eyes uh sometimes, but yeah, look back now, of course, like awesome bands
1: i w- it seemed like every weekend there was a band from Minneapolis coming down, so a lot of am rep shit and you know bands that I remember there was bands playing here that were like kind of billed as twin tone, and yep. it was like, then they get here. I remember one band I can't remember they weren't even from Minneapolis, but they were they were billed as uh twin tone records artists from Minneapolis i can't think of the name of it and they showed up and they were like uh we're not we're not on twin tone i wish we were on twin tone you know so i don't know if it's their agent or somebody was just getting them gigs by fucking bullshitting
2: jesus christ look look at look at a band like like the slow death you know i mean god how many how many fucking awesome records have have they put out you know i i I love that band like you know tightwire that record you know Tane's our homie he he basically tms us all the time we go on the road you know Tane. Fucking make sure we don't all die in a gutter every fucking night, you
1: know. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think is probably my favorite newer band from up there. Ah, that 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 album's incredible. <laughs>
0: (laughs) Talk to you Get off your sleeves I saw you Got a painting Grand tattoo Grand tattoo Standing in the corner Looks so cool Gotta find a way To talk to you Get off your sleeves I saw you
1: awesome. I know you can't say what's going on in the future, but uh as far as like venues and shit in, in the cities, I mean, is it is there any bright side?
2: Well, I mean, let's see what happens in January, man. I mean, obviously, you know, this state to state band-aid on a bullet wound and shit isn't working, you know. We we need some federal leadership and we 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 need to have some fucking like nationwide fucking mandates and we need to have some federal support to support both businesses and make sure people stay in their fucking homes and can keep the heat on, you know? And and fortunately the last four years we've been in a position where where we simply don't have any sort of federal leadership. So we'll see what happens in January, man. I mean, everyone is struggling right now. You know, I personally, you know, work in the bar industry and have for over, over 20 years. And, you know, one of of my bars went under earlier this year and um, the other one just, you know, a couple of weeks ago in front of this Minnesota, as of this recording right now, is facing a four week mandatory shutdown for bars, you know, uh, takeout only, which is, you know, nothing. Um, yeah. You know, we, we're, we're voluntarily closing to spring just to make sure we have the resources monetarily to, to be able to reopen in spring. Um, so it's tough. And, you know, a lot, obviously a lot of these venues are are dark, you know, ranging from like Mortimer's and other neighborhood bars that, that can hold a couple hundred people up to first Avenue that can that can hold 1600 and is a you know very dear and crucial independently owned um, music venue man like you know we'll just hope that everyone can support these venues as much as they can and use the hashtag you know save our stages and you know tell your local government that these institutions are important, and need to be preserved. You know, we, we we all have to band together and help each other the, the best we can. And hopefully there, there will be some places that are not mega corporate entities to play after this. You know, I mean, I've, and you know, there'll always be basements, you know, punk's gonna be just fine. Um, but we all need to band together and help each other as much as we can right now. And I know there's not a lot to go around, but you know, if we all do what we can, we're all going to be okay. I believe that.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, well, hopefully everything uh, works out for you. I mean, I'm, I'm glad you're doing good right now. So. I just want to
2: fucking play, man. I, I, I want to play loud guitar so goddamn bad.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know what? I mean, this whole thing, like, I keep saying it all the time. Like, the the bright side of this whole thing is, like, All these songwriters, all these guys are sitting at home. They're writing new songs. We're going to have a bunch of great albums. And we're going to have a bunch of great high-energy live shows when this is done. Because everyone's going to be itching to fucking play. And everyone's going to be wanting to see it.
2: Right. Well, we basically, I don't know if you heard this story. We basically got shut down in the act when at the beginning of all this COVID. uh, D4 was supposed to play with Avail in Chicago. And Avail was there. Tim drove up. To the gig, they sound checked. We're ready to go. D four is on stage sound checking, and literally that day, the governor of Illinois declared no gatherings of more than a thousand people. So we're sound checking, and like the, the the venue's manager comes up, is like, "Hey guys, so governor said no gatherings of more than a thousand. You guys are at like nine fifty pre-sale plus staff, and there's a bunch of people outside. We got to figure out if we can do this show. Ah, shit. I can just keep sound checking. All right, so we sound check." We go backstage and nothing, nothing, nothing. And we start pounding beers and nothing, nothing, nothing. And then literally five minutes before doors, they come up like, nope, done, no show. And uh, the, poor, the poor bastard that had to go uh, tell the crowd, he's, he comes back and he, he just is visibly shook. We're looking at what's up? He's like, I just opened the doors and told the crowd, you know, show is canceled. And literally the first guy in line starts laughing. He's like, ha ha. He's like, no, seriously, no show. And the first guy in line is like, dude, I flew here from Manchester, England for Dillinger Four and a veil. <laughs> I was like, fuck, dude. It's like, well, shit, have a beer, buddy. So you know, you know, we just went to Liars Club and got shit faced. But uh, yeah, we were literally on stage, like, and got got canceled, like, day of sort of big restrictions
1: and uh, Wow.
2: Yeah, oh, yeah. It's, yeah.
1: You would think like they would they would say t- the next day or tomorrow or two days it takes effect, not uh, right fucking now. Yep. Oh man, that sucks. I didn't know that. Oh
2: yeah, yeah, it was pretty brutal. But you know, the first time I saw a Veil was in the basement of a uh, <clears throat> art gallery and coffee shop, and it was uh, it was a Veil and Born Against. I think it was the first tour that Tim was singing and not playing drums, and Tim <laughs> Tim completely blew out the vocal PA singing, so Born Against goes up to play and just. No, there's no microphone. So it's just Sam McFeeders running around screaming in people's faces. You know, it's, it's my, <laughs> no, one of my favorite fucking bands anyway. But like that might be one of my favorite shows too. But yeah, I mean, I went down to Riot Fest. What was it? Two years ago, it was like Avail and Bikini Kill and shit. Like I couldn't say no to that. It was the first year I actually went to Riot Fest as a fan and not, not performing. Because yeah, it was it was what, Jawbreaker, Patty, Patty Smith, or, uh, yeah, Bikini Kill, yeah, I remember ball, that year. Player. yeah, it was pretty awesome.
1: I think the Ergs played that year.
2: Yeah, they did. I I, I remember. Yep, going to, to that that side stage. Yeah, absolutely. And you know who fucking crushed it? The Village People. Their set was seriously <laughs> amazing. That's was I remember. S- really, really crowd surfing, you know, everyone was just all pretension aside, just shaking their booty and having a lot of fun. The Village People seriously crushed it.
1: I remember seeing them on the on the lineup, and it was like. You, you kind of look at it and think, is this is this fucking real?
2: I, I think the B52s had the biggest crowd of the entire weekend, though. They should have been on one of the two main stages. Like, they were fucking awesome, man. You know, I was fortunate enough to see, you know, Avail every night. You know, D4 did that. I mean, Jesus Christ, you look back at it now, but that, that whole tour we did, you know, where it was Avail, Dillinger 4, Leatherface, like that whole tour was fucking amazing. Being able to see both of those bands every night, Jesus Christ, make you feel self conscious about your own band, I
1: tell you what. How does a uh, how does a tour like that work like were you guys like co-headlining was it switching every night or
2: Um Avail I think was the headliner every night except for Minneapolis we we were the headliner Um and then yeah like I don't I don't remember if us and Leatherface switched we we may have switched a few times it might have just been Leatherface opening honestly which is stupid and weird because they're obviously like one of like, regardless of genre, like top five fucking bands ever. Like, Pretty legendary. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the whole thing was so funny because the laminate and everything said the 160 a night tour. And we were we we're, we're talking, you know, pre-tour like riders and stuff. We're just like, oh no. So we need these many cases of beer and you know, this and that. <laughs> and like, oh, it's like 160 beers is light. It's like, no, we, need more than that. (laughs) I remember whoever was setting up the tour on a veil side, they just thought that was so ridiculous. They literally called it the 160 a night tour and sure as shit, every fucking night us and Leatherface banging on a veil's door. Like motherfuckers, give us your beer.
1: (laughs) So between Leatherface and Dillinger four, you guys would drink 160 beers a night. That's a lot. Is it? Eh, Maybe not. Not for how many guys are there. That's like, that's like 12 guys. At yeah, least. that's doable.
0: Yeah,
2: you
1: crush a twelve pack,
2: and you got friends that are coming back state. It's not ludicrous. You bring a shitload of beers with be on stage. You know, <laughs> shit. I probably, I probably crush a six pack just on stage. You know. Regardless, it was just a hell of a tour to be able to see like both of those fucking bands like every night. Like God, Leatherface every single night was just absolutely inspirational and exceptional. You know, um, and then and then fucking avail what i mean what can you say i mean is there a more fucking high energy like band like jesus christ like to be to be on that bill was 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 just incredible and
1: yeah veil's pretty intense uh what was your favorite uh uh band to tour with well i mean dude toys that kill are our homies you know like we've done
2: (laughs) so many bands so many tours with those guys like scared of chaka dude like, Chaka was awesome. Me and Dave Hernandez were just actually reminiscing pretty recently. Um, I, I'm assuming it's probably Dave. Just started, like, a, I think, a Scared of Chaka Instagram pretty recently. A lot of pictures. and <laughs> We were reminiscing. There was one time we were on tour, and it may have been in the Dakotas or somewhere, but we're um, pulling off the gas, and it's one of those giant, giant mega, like, gift shop, gas station, restaurant, like, you know, just – uber stop places but like podunk in the middle of nowhere and we see chaka's van it's like all right we go in and get a shitload of like smoke bombs and stink bombs we get pizza and we see their window is cracked so of course we jam a bunch of pizza on their windows throw a bunch of smoke bombs in and then then smear their fucking windows with toothpaste because we're dead and We take off. Unbeknownst to us, Taka comes out and they just see their van smoldering and they're like, holy fuck, like racists are like burning our fucking van down, you know? (laughs) A of people of color in there, man, and like, uh, like, holy shit! And, and no, they get it figured out, and eventually they see a note or something through in there from D four. So, um, so we go to the gig that night, and unbeknownst to us, they come and they don't say anything or whatever. And then during our set, those motherfuckers unload like every Roman candle, firework, everything in the world to start giving them to the crowd to blast us. And I think they've posted a picture of him just like seriously, like blasting me <laughs> in the chest with like a roman candle while i'm holding up my guitar in a rock pose just like laughing my ass off but yeah i mean chaka like you know toys to kill or as we like to call them boys that thrill Ciao! lot of touring well you know we did that whole um when when hopeless records um started the whole like subsidy thing right
0: yeah yeah they
2: uh were, it was the charitable thing and they they instituted the take action tour we did the very first ever take action tour it was fyp dillinger 4 scared of chaka and falling sickness
1: yeah and 15 right
2: oh yeah i forgot the headline yeah um where to go steal beer from <laughs> at the point where jeff thought would just bring it to us like um, pretty much immediately it wouldn't bother them. yeah boy we played some fucking podunk fucking shows to not a lot of people on that tour boy but really we, oh yeah but we had incredible times
1: wow i thought that tour that's the kind of tour like when you look back at it you would just think every night would just be a fucking packed. you know
2: you know it, it i'm i'm embellishing the story yeah you know it, it it was great and people definitely came out it, it was uh an absolute riot and, and and that's where he really kind of broke down I think with um, it was still FYP at the time so Todd and those guys you know that's where we really became friends I think and of course you know I mean count the times that D4 and Toys to Kill have toured together or played shows together you know I mean probably probably more than anyone else you know I mean we we absolutely love those guys both as a band and individuals you know I, I think they're just fucking great
1: Hey, this is B-Face here hanging in the dummy room where LSD makes you smarter. One last thing. How do you look at Dillinger 4 in the, in the pop-punk world?
2: Um, I would call Dillinger 4 a punk rock band. Um, But people, you know, we certainly have hooks, you know. I mean, like, I mean, but in the same way that I would call... Naked rig on like a punk rock band, or you yeah, know, yeah. whatever. Are, are they catchy? Absolutely. I mean, um, you know, we've never done, you know, the Jughead three-note lead thing or anything like that. But but certainly there's hooks, and if people want to call us a pop punk fan, like I, I think all of us could agree. Like, well, great, we're gonna be the fucking hardest rock and heaviest fucking pop you've <laughs> seen in your life, because there are certainly tracks where there's nothing resembling pop punk on there. And, and those are all our influences, you know, uh, when the band started, you know, I mean, you know, Eric and Patty being from Chicago, it was, it was all Ray gun, you know, like um, even coming up here, I would say like, even, even at the impetus, of Hazel, at the impetus of Dylan's 4, like, you know, J Church was probably more of an influence than, than anything, you know, at the beginning, the same reason we're all motorhead fans too, but it, it's like, it's hard rock, you know, or metal whatever you want to call it but but still hooks you know like i like a catchy part and, and i like to fucking rock hard You want to call that pop punk like absolutely i have no qualms with that but i tell you what we're gonna fucking like play harder and faster than a lot of stuff that you might consider pop punk fucking let's bang it up here we go <laughs>
1: Yeah, so uh, to end this, we can all assume that if, uh, you know, pandemic uh, pending and all that shit, that there will be a D4th of July next year?
2: Good Lord, I certainly hope so. It really, <laughs> it really stung to not have one this year. You know, we, we make a joke of it, but we honestly have lost track. But this must, I mean, you know, 18 years or so, at least, you know, God, yeah, I'd love to bring that tradition back from the dead, man. Like, it, it, it really, it really hurt you know, to, to, not be able to do it. I, uh, I certainly miss it. I hope we're all ready to, 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 be able to do it next year.
1: All right, Billy, I won't keep you any longer, but, um, yeah, come back again sometime maybe. Absolutely. I would love to. And, um,
2: yeah, I'll try, I'll try to figure out the Scooby do stuff and, uh, get a hold of you personally.
1: Uh, I apologize in advance if I bug you about it.
2: Oh, <laughs>
1: don't sweat. Don't sweat it, man.
2: Give me a shout at any time, bud.
1: All right. Thanks, Billy. Have a good night.
2: All right. Take it easy, Nate. Thank you, bud. Bye-bye. All right,
1: we'll see you. All right, there we go. A little conversation with Billy Morissette. Thanks, Billy, for uh, for hanging out a little bit. I lost a little bit of it because of uh, some audio glitches and whatnot, but uh, nothing too bad. So anyways, lots of fun. Um, like I said, no show next week. Um, hopefully the Zonoids album is out by the time you hear me again. Uh, we'll see. All right, happy holidays. Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, safe travels. Wear your fucking mask and Toodles.